Welcome to this installment of Witness to Yesterday, the podcast of the Champlain Society. My name is Greg Marshallton, and I'm talking from the Allen Slate Radio Institute at Ryerson University in downtown Toronto. Ian Mackay has been a history professor for most of his adult life. He was at Queen's University and has recently moved to McMaster University, where he is the director for the Wilson Institute of Canadian History. Today, we are going to talk about his recent book, co-authored with Jamie Swift, entitled The Vimy Trap, or How We Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Great War. Ian has joined me in the studio today. Ian, welcome. Oh, thank you very much. Before we begin talking about your book, give us a little background on the Wilson Institute for Canadian History. The Wilson Institute has been going for about a decade now, and its mandate is to revitalize Canadian history, basically by bringing Canadians a bigger picture, putting Canada in a transnational frame of reference, and also asking new and innovative questions. So we've attracted to our team 50 scholars across the country, young scholars and senior scholars, and all of them are asking somewhat similar questions about Canada. It's a very exciting place to be. Well, we at the Champlain Society wish you the very best because, in a sense, we're engaged in exactly the same enterprise. So thank you. Well, this is the 100th anniversary of the Battle of Vimy Ridge. As you would expect, much has been said about Canada's role in the Great War in general, and Vimy in particular. Indeed, there's been a blizzard of books and articles on the subject leading to a phenomenon that you, Ian, call Vimyism. What do you mean by this term? By Vimyism, we mean two things. One is the notion widely broadcast this year, particularly, that Canada was born at Vimy Ridge. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau pronounced that at the Vimy Ridge Monument, and it's been endlessly repeated. So we think on a factual and empirical level that is simply false. But the wider claim of Vimyism is that the Great War as a whole was Canada's War of Independence, something in which our soldiers basically gave us a country. So the Great War is being made a sacred and nation-building moment. This is what we want to question, and we question it not just by looking at the contemporary values that are in motion in what I would call a propagandistic effort, but also how it utterly disrespects the soldiers who actually fought in the Great War and who returned with radically different impressions of it. They called it a holocaust, and I suppose our critique is that we're painting a happy face on a Holocaust. Well, can you briefly describe for our listeners the Battle of Vimy Ridge? Well, you know, it's fairly famous. It starts on the 9th of April, 1917, goes on for four days. Canadians, you know, 100,000 strong, advance up the ridge, and the Germans retreat. So the mythology around the battle is that this was a game-changing event in the First World War, and the First World War itself was a war of democracy against tyranny. Our factual objection to this is that no serious military historian would say that the Battle of Vimy Ridge was a game-changing battle. In fact, the Germans themselves struck a medal after the battle to honor their own defenders, and it moved the Western Front perhaps 7,000 yards. So it's not exactly a major shift in the geography of the First World War. And over and beyond that, it is highly questionable to make such a sacralized moment out of bloodbath of apocalypse portions. Well, in 1936, the government of Canada set up the Canadian National Vimy Memorial. Can you take us through the evolution of that memorial since 1936? Yeah, well, what's fascinating is that in 1936, it's basically unveiled as sculptor Walter Allward's Sermon in Stone Against War. The monument is intended as a peace monument. 
It was widely adopted as such by the peace movement of the 1930s. They thought if you went to uh, Vimy in 1936, you might have mistaken it for Woodstock <laughs> of the 1960s. A hymn to peace, poems to peace, every speech seems to call out for peace. Peace, peace, peace. And people, contemporary visitors to the monument will tell you that there's very little military gung-ho atmosphere around the monument. But that has changed since the 1980s. What was intended as a sermon in stone against war has turned into a war monument honoring the valor of Canadian soldiers. Why did this change? It changed partly through centennial fever in 1967, through the administrations of Pierre Burton, our beloved popular history writer, but, you know, he kind of took liberties with certain things in his Vimy book, and then it builds up to a crescendo after the 1990s with the right turn in Canadian politics and especially with this effort to make military success key to Canadian identity. So it, this reaches its sort of height with the Harper government placing basically the Great War and its heroes right at the very centre of the citizenship guide. So what it means to be a good Canadian now? Well, you have to believe that Canada was born at Vimy Ridge. That's almost the right answer to the, the question in the citizenship guide. You know, when was Canada born? 1917. And the big phrase here is birth of the nation, which has been hugely promoted really since the 1990s. Ian, what's the trap in your title, The Vimy Trap? There are two traps. One is buying into a childishly oversimplified feel-good story about a horrific battle and all of the insult to the actual veterans that that constitutes. So in my consideration, that is kind of a moral trap. I also think it's an intellectual trap because it basically makes us a Canadian selfie. It narrows down the entire history of the Great War to a Canadian moment and tells us basically the lie that Canadians won the Great War at Vimy Ridge. It's preposterous to do this in some ways because the rest of, much of the rest of the world knows the Great War to have been a catastrophic moment in Western civilization. And somehow we are trying to give ourselves a kind of free pass and all this and say, well, for all the sufferings that the soldiers endured, our war at least gave us a nation. That is precisely the myth that we're trying to target in this book. Well, in 1918, Fred Varley painted a First World War scene entitled For What?, now, what's your interpretation of this painting and its meaning in terms of how Canadians perceived the Great War at the time that he painted it? It's one of the richest documents from the war because Fred Varley was there. He wrote to his wife saying, we'll never be able to quite grasp the enormity and the suffering entailed in this war. And the painting is of two Canadian grave diggers basically trying to attend to the dead bodies on a blood-drenched field in France. So what I find wonderful but terribly moving about the painting is that it's both kind of a classic Canadian rustic scene with a farmer in the field, and you could almost mistake the crosses for a white picket fence. And if you don't look at it carefully, you could say, well, maybe he's just planting a crop. But actually, the bodies are the crop. The white picket fences are cemetery crosses. And the whole scene is drenched with a sense of boundaries have shifted momentously in the Great War. So you can't really easily tell what's water and what's land. The bodies blend into one another. It's truly, he called it his horror picture, and it truly does, I think, convey one honest view of the First World War from 1918 from a celebrated Canadian. That's the view that we hold in our book has been sidelined progressively, especially from the 1990s. 
Now, historians often talk about collective memory. Do you think that there is such a thing as collective memory, or do you think that, in fact, there are very different perceptions that are held and there's no sort of dominant collective memory? I think that there is a will on the part of many well-established Canadians to make FIMI the dominant collective memory. And I think through such collective moments as Remembrance Day, Vimy Day, etc., etc., monuments on Wellington Street celebrating our warriors, that there is a strong official drive to make this memory far more well-rooted in Canadian minds than it would not otherwise normally be. And our strongest evidence is to look at how the soldiers themselves felt in the 20s and 30s. And so many of them use words like Holocaust, bloodbath, futile. I think it's kind of a moral error, as well as an empirical error, to silence their voices. And you describe this in terms of a collective memory being constructed. So connected to that, can you describe your own experience with Vimeism when you were living in Kingston? Well, Kingston's a wonderful city to sort of appreciate Vimeism. We have the Royal Military College there, and also if you ever want to see the artistic perfection of Vimeism, you you would go to the City Hall Memorial Chamber in Kingston, and the stained glass windows all around give you this wonderful vision of a heroic, noble war. There's not a trench or a bloodstained body to be seen, right? So I think what they've done in the Memorial Hall in Kingston is to sort of, it shows you the kind of real drive to clean up this war and make it a heroic nation-building moment. So the city is saturated with that ethos. Right. Now, some would say that you and Jamie Swift have written a polemical history. Do you agree or disagree with this characterization? Instead of the word polemical, I would prefer the word critical. And I think the difference I would draw here is that every historian has a a framework of interpretation, and we're fairly upfront about what ours is. I think the difference between a raw polemic and our study would lie in the footnotes, the references for further reading. We really want the reader to engage in an extensive exploration of the First World War, and we try and give that reader the tools to do so. And we try and make our arguments all relate directly to factual evidence. So if you want to take issue with our book, just look up the footnotes, you know, we give you piles to work with. And I think that's the difference between, you know, my, my sense of a polemic is something more like a, a raw exchange of insults, like the sort of thing we see on Fox News or CNN, you know, where just people are slugging it out. I think that's one meaning of polemic. I think this is more like a critique of an established view of Canadian history that's being basically pushed by our government. And uh, you would argue it's based on evidence. And now this is the focus of this podcast series is on the importance of primary source documents, letters, journals, diaries, and allowing us to better understand and interpret the experience of Canadians in our past. So are there any documents that you would highlight that you actually found very helpful in better understanding the place of Vimy in Canadian history? For me, the most startling and Revealing documents were the ones I found in the Toronto Star and the Winnipeg Free Press from 1934. Photo spreads about Canada's Great War. And what was startling about that, and in radical contrast to today's Vimeism, is the tone of disillusioned realism about the entire enterprise. In the Toronto Star case, the captions were crafted by Gregory Clark, who was a masterful writer. And all the way through Gregory Clark's captions, you see this bleak, humane humor this, the sense that the war has accomplished nothing. One of his captions says, winners take nothing, losers take less. That's his summary of the Great War. 
Can you imagine a, a more stark contrast with today's celebration of this supposed war of Canadian independence that gave us a nation? From the Gregory Clark's point of view, and Gregory Clark was at Vimy Ridge and was decorated for valor at Vimy Ridge, the real slogan to take away from this is, winners take nothing, losers take less. That's how it seemed to that Vimy veteran. And we have found hundreds of those Vimy veterans. So that's one great document. And we were blown away by just the reception of that series. If you presented such a severely disillusioned view of the Great War today, uh, you'd be shouted down from every rooftop, as some of my emails and phone calls suggest. You know, this, is, this has become sacrilegious. It wasn't sacrilegious in the, from the perspective of thousands and thousands of soldiers in 1934. That, I find, interesting. Well, and, and as you point out, things have changed in the last few decades. So in terms of today, does Canada have a culture of war from your viewpoint? I think it very definitely is trying to develop a culture of war. I think when you see uh, statues erected for the first time on Parliament Hill celebrating the War of 1812, and the whole you know, multi-million dollar attempt to make the War of 1812 a, a great moment in Canadian history, basically the commemoration of soldiers in the Citizenship Guide of 2008, and in continuing into this year's Vimy commemorations, this is very much an attempt to follow the Americans and making martial nationalism core to our Canadian identity. And we regard this as a tragic error. So what are the takeaways, if any, from the Vimy Trap? What are the political and policy lessons that we can draw from your work in trying to build a better future in this country? I would say that the primary lesson that the average reader can take away from this is to regard every attempt to use war as a solution to a complicated problem with grave suspicion. Once you've launched the war, it's almost too late. The celebration of our heroes, the boys who have been dying, and it's almost impossible to then say, why should we have been in this war? And I think that's part of the syndrome that we're trying to target here is that you really ought to look at war in general, especially modern war, modern mechanized war, as the least valuable option imaginable. That was the takeaway sentiment of so many soldiers. War under conditions of industrial modernity has changed absolutely. Forget all this talk about romance and valor. Look at the actual realities of war. The veterans came back and they were almost shaking with anger and trying to make Canadians understand that. And I think Canadians are progressively forgetting what they are trying to tell them. Well, Ian, thank you so much for this interview. This is the Champlain Society podcast, Witness to Yesterday. My name is Greg Marshallden, and my guest today was Ian Mackay on The Vimy Trap, or How We Learn to Stop Worrying and Love the Great War, published by Between the Lines Press in 2016. This interview was recorded in the Alan Slate Radio Institute of Ryerson University. It was produced by Pernia Jamshed and Hugh Backhurst. Thank you all. <laughs> ¶¶